0: So today uh, we have the privilege to have Pastor Lance here, he's the Senior Pastor of uh, the Neighborhood Church in Long Beach, and I know you since how long, pretty? Oh, maybe 15 years. 15 years, we were in Orange in Long Beach, yeah, we were together uh, for a few few years, and it's just a blessing to have you here in our podcast. you know, our, our, our world is going crazy. We're living in a pandemic and we have a political division and, uh, and the death of George Floyd has been has been just going crazy. So we have a few, wor- few questions for you. Um, as an Af- African American, what do you uh, have to say
1: about this mm-hmm. racism
0: that we're living in
1: our society? Um, I, I think first of all I wanna say uh thank you, uh Pastor Marco for having me. Uh Evelyn, mm-hmm. thank you uh for having me um on today. That's a that's a really good question. You know when, <laughs> got you, talk, you, the spot. <laughs> when you talk about uh racism in uh this particular climate, because racism has always been a part of this climate, but I think with the activities and the events that have happened later, um, that has happened of recent, it has brought it to the forefront. So, you know, racism for so long has been that thing that's been on the back burner, but now that pot is boiling over and you have to pay attention to it so you know it's 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 always been there right and i mean i think that every minority group uh that has come to america or that was actually indigenous to america but you know settlers came and pushed people in different directions and you know now those groups are like no pay attention right because we won't stand for it anymore yeah i remember that the last one we had it was when uh Ronnie King, ninety-two, ninety-three, the Rodney King riots, yes, uprising as they call it. Excuse me, yes, the (laughs) uprising. Yeah,
0: and and today we have a a George Floyd, and it's just Mm -hmm. the chaos in our in our community. You you can feel it as soon as you walk in the street. You can feel the
2: the tension,
1: tension uh,
2: amongst you know individuals. I think (laughs) uh, personally, for me, I've felt more sensitivity when going into the community and uh, not wanting to be disrespectful, not knowing what the right terminology, not knowing, you know, what to say or how to approach people because everybody's so, like, sensitive right mm-hmm. now, including myself, and so it's been difficult. Um, how have you been dealing with this, you know, new, or like you mentioned, now it's it's in your face. It's in everybody's face right now because of social media, because of cameras. Now it's like you, I agree. It's always been present. Racism has always been present in our country, but now with cameras and social media and people saying we're not going to put up with it anymore. Now right. it's in your face. Now you have to deal with it. Correct. You know.
1: Yeah, I, I think this is um, when you. First, you have to be introspective and in and, and this time, both as um, African-Americans, as minorities in general, we have to be introspective to say that where we are, we can't take it out on everybody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can't just walk down the street, see Pastor Marco and assume that he is the problem. You understand what I'm saying? So I, I get the the heightened level of sensitivity because of where we are and because of the climate, but we also have to be pragmatic in our approach. We have to be realistic, you know, and I have to first understand who Pastor Marco is. Now, if Pastor Marco comes off as a racist or if somebody comes off as a racist, then I can identify them as a part of the problem. But after, you know, getting to know them or even coming, you know, running to you in the store and like we were having some conversation or some dialogue off camera and you were asking me about, you know, is African-American the appropriate term Mm -hmm. because in Spanish, you know, it sounds harsh as you said. And so if you come to me and you say, Hey, uh, how did you say it in Spanish?
2: Uh, negro, negrito, negro, negrito,
1: <laughs> you know, yes, and, in Spanish, right? and, and so, yeah. you know, if you say that and I ask you, you know, well, why, you know, explain the origin of that and then you explain this is how it was said in Spanish and you know, but then if the follow up question is, is that offensive? Okay, now we can dialogue, mm-hmm. but if you say it and I'm instantly offended. And there is no dialogue mm-hmm. then this is why we have what we have now because there's a lot of offense but there is no dialogue mm-hmm. you know to understand the cultural differences
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know to maybe dispel some of the myths that maybe you have or, or that i have right, you know, right. So.
2: and it's very similar with even the latino community right, right. you know where <laughs> pastor marco you're from Oh,
1: come on. Pop quiz. Uh, I'm, not, I was, I'm not Italian. I was gonna say Guatemala. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Guatemala. Okay. I'm from Guatemala. Oh, and, oh Mexican. and never call a Mexican uh, Guatemalan or <laughs> or a Sa- Oh, if you want to start a fight, <laughs> you, you call an El Salvadorian uh, Mexican. Mm-hmm. And oh my, I told you I was just in San Salvador, and you know even the Spanish.
2: Yeah.
1: It's, it's different, different. Mm-hmm. and I oh my gosh I was corrected a number of times because <laughs> yeah. growing up in LA you know different we, Spanish, yeah <laughs> we learned you know certain things in Spanish and I thought I was you know hey I'm from <laughs> El Salvador so yeah. and it was like no right even the
0: Latinos are divided <laughs> yeah because oh, yeah. uh, you, you're you totally right if you tell uh, Salvadorian you're Mexican oh, they can it okay. not it's just not the Salvadorian yeah. Any other, <laughs> or the other way around, you know. Yeah. So have you ever felt um, discriminated? Oh, like, yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: That's not even a question. Can
2: you remember the first time you felt different from others? So I feel like I came to a point at a young age when <laughs> I realized, like, oh, shoot, like, I'm not like them, you know, or I'm not like this person.
1: Do I remember the first time? I can't say that I remember the first time. I grew up in Compton. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the eighties, it was unusual to have um, Hispanics in the community. Mm -hmm. But my neighbors on Glencoe, and I wish I could find them, Mm -hmm. Rudy and Vanessa, Mm -hmm. it was a Hispanic family who lived directly next door to us. And so that was, you know, my really, as a kid, that was my first introduction to having friends who were different from mm-hmm. me. And so we didn't know the difference. Yeah. And because our parents, our people didn't, um, because they didn't magnify mm-hmm. our ex- exhaust, the fact that we were different, yeah. we didn't know it. Mm-hmm. So really, as I went through life, I was kind of able to, you know, fit in with any group Mm -hmm. because subsequently i graduated from paramount high school in 1997 well if you know anything about paramount in uh 92 93 94 95 96 97 you know that it was um at the height of some racial tension on on school campuses and we were one of the first schools um in 94 either 93 or 94, where we had the, uh, the clash between the Hispanics mm-hmm. and the Blacks. Well, whose side are you on, Lance?
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> well, guess what? Uh, I'm on nobody's side. Yeah. You know, and so from that, we were able to really begin the healing process on that campus, yeah. you know, because of uh, individuals like myself, uh, the superintendent, uh, Michelle Lawrence, at the time, Dr. Michelle Lawrence, you know, people like them, uh, Dr. B.B. Angola, these people were uh, really proactive in bridging and yeah. mending and mending those gaps. So I never really felt different, but I think that the first time that I saw racism face-to-face is when I went to the Navy.
0: Yeah.
1: It was the first time that I had ever experience yeah. like what happened
2: blatant. <laughs>
1: if you don't like no, nah, i'm it, interested it, now <laughs> it, it was the first time that i had ever experienced like blatant mm-hmm. in your face because i'm a young kid straight out of high school
2: yeah
1: and you know i mean on on high school campuses you know you've been called a nigger before but it doesn't have the same vibrato mm-hmm. or the same tone yeah. when it comes from another adult. Yeah. You know, especially period. if
2: they're like a superior, to well, or where they're supposed to be a person of authority.
1: Right. So you know, when you have a person who's sixteen, seventeen calling you that, you know, it's completely mm-hmm. different yeah. than where now you're a man and somebody calls you that, and you're like. Yeah, we're about to have some problems here real fast. But you know, even, but even then, it goes back to what I said earlier. My wife says, you know, the Bible reminds us what Jesus says: through love and kindness." Have I drawn thee? And I won't say the individual's name, um, but he—he um, he was a white supremacist, mm-hmm. and he was a, right out of Downey, right out of Downey, California. And we came in, and I remember. Uh, the gentleman was like six four, six five, big guy, buff his yeah. muscles had muscles. This is this is this is how you, know. Like you like Yeah, like you, Pastor <laughs> Mark. His his muscles had muscles and he you know, he had like the deep set eyes, you know, like there was just you can see the anger and the intensity, you know, in him. And I'm just thinking, God, I don't wanna have to fight this guy. I don't, you know, I don't want to have to fight this guy. And I was um, what they would call a white rope. So when you go to um, the military, when you go to basic training, you have an AROC, you have an RPOC, you have a, uh, a white rope. And then there was one more. But the white rope is what they call the religious petty officer. So we're responsible for everybody that comes in. Uh, there was a Catholic one and then there's the Protestant one. I was the Protestant one. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were responsible for every new recruit that came in. We got them a Bible. We got them a cross. We, you know, um, would kind of lead them to their prayer services. And I remember every night after we would come in, and when you're in basic training, you're up at 4.30 in the morning, and you don't lay down until, like, 11 o'clock. So when you lay down, you know, you're ready to knock out. And we would have to have prayer. So uh, the Catholic white rope would you know, offer the prayers for the night. And then I would offer the prayers for the night. And this goes on, you know, two, three weeks. And the guy, he came to me one day and he was like, why do you guys pray? And so we go through the whole story and you know, this is the guy who was the white supremacist. Mm -hmm. So we scurry on. Well, one night we come in and we've had a long day and it's time to pray. And you know, I'm tired. So the uh, the one who's over the Catholic prayers, he does his prayer. It's time for me to pray. I get up to pray. And one of the guys, he goes, we don't wanna, and he uses profanity and he's like, we've had a long day and he's cussing. He's like, you know, take your bleep bleep to bed. Yeah. And you hear this strong voice in the back and I get chills just thinking about it. And he goes, shut the bleep bleep up and let Rev pray. And guess who it was? The gentleman who was the white supremacist. And he, after that, the guy kept going. And now our beds are on these, like these high floors and you can move them back. And you hear like beds being moved. And now this guy is in his face and he's like, let him pray. And after I got done praying, he said, um, let's go in the laundry area because there's an area where you put your laundry. And I'm like, oh, God, he's going to beat me down tonight. <laughs> but I'll take it because I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And he says, I want to know this Christ that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And in that room, he gets on his knees wow. and we pray the prayer of salvation. really mm-hmm watch this though I feel like crying man look but watch this though when we did our passive review which is when you graduate he come I get chills just thinking about it he comes and he says I want you to meet my girlfriend and my kids and he brings me over and he tells his girlfriend this is the guy that I was telling you about and she just begins to cry because she's like I've prayed for him
2: Oh, wow. and to no, see I'm him and to,
1: <laughs> and to see him change yeah. and you know but from that moment on now we're eating you know we were eating child together you know we were communicating and like I said by the time we got to the end we had a friendship kind of like Pastor Marco and I <laughs> <laughs> you know by the time we got to the end and so and from there I had events where my house was vandalized uh, and my house was spray painted broken into and it was uh, when I, I stayed in uh, Lake Elsinore mm-hmm. which is where they have a, a high 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 um, concentration of skinheads up that way
2: Yeah.
1: and so you know they vandalized my property once but you know even in that I just chalk it up to people's ignorance so I never so to answer your original question I never really felt different yeah. because I think the moment that you feel different is the moment that you begin to withdraw and mm-hmm. take offense. Yeah. So I never really felt different. I just knew that this individual had a problem.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, know. so yeah. Yeah, but the, in our society there,
0: you know, we have different experience. You know, I really felt uh, different a lot of times mm-hmm. in, in, in this country, you know, even though I'm, I'm here Over 40 years, and uh, there was a time where you don't. I didn't speak in English, well, I still struggled sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But people look at you different, Mm -hmm. you know. And and I I can forget the experience like I'm with uh, among white people, and you know, they look at me like I'm the help, (laughs) I'm different, you know, like Mm -hmm. ignore you completely, they don't even look at you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I wish I could know the Lord back then, but right now, you know, the, the attitude that we should have, it, it has to be different. It has to be different mm-hmm. because uh, we cannot go on and living like, like that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what should be our attitude? I mean, if you walk in the streets and you see Latino Americans,
1: we walk and we see African Americans, what should be our attitude? I mean when you when you walk in the street and you see another I mean let, let, let's just deal with minorities in this in this context when you walk in the street and you see another minority your first response should be that's my brother mm-hmm. that's my sister in the struggle right because when you look at, now we're just talking about from a minority perspective, mm-hmm. not to say that, you know, Asians are not our brothers and sisters, right. you know, Caucasians are not our brothers and sisters, you know. But when you look at other minorities, that's my brother, that's my sister mm-hmm. in the struggle. Because when you understand that that's your brother or your sister in the struggle, then you understand that they're not your enemies. See, the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual rulers, principalities, and high places. So my my fight is not with you, because at the end of the day, if they oppress me, then eventually they're gonna oppress you. Mm-hmm. And they just understand we gotta get them one at a time. We can't, you know, we can't take them off. And so this is why when you when you go back and you look at people who were instrumental. the civil rights movement it wasn't just black people you had people like you know Julio Cesar Chavez you know who understood that unless there was human rights for all there weren't human rights for any you had people like you know Gandhi it wasn't just you know we when we think of the civil rights movement we say oh Dr. Martin Luther King Mm -hmm. but there were people from other cultures and races who were instrumental and making sure that their race understood, we've got to help him because helping him eventually helps us. Exactly. So when I see other Latin Americans, I don't see, you know, Latin America. I see my brother. I see my sister. You know, and this is this is proven. Now, it doesn't mean that we're all going to get along.
2: Right, right.
1: You know, but just because I don't get along with you doesn't mean that that's my gripe with an entire culture our entire group of people yeah. i just don't like you
0: <laughs> yeah
1: you that's know? a problem right? right that is a problem because
0: you know one uh, african-american could be bad that doesn't right. mean the entire uh community and
2: that goes with everything you, you know, there's people with the police department you know that there's one bad apple that spoils the rest and it's not to say that all police officers are bad because there's amazing officers out there that are you know god-fearing people and love their community they do that for a reason they are officers because they want to serve and protect others i think as individuals we each have a calling right and for some individuals that could be being a police officer for me it was becoming a social worker that's my calling that's how i serve my community and that's what God gave me a gift to be able to give to others, right? And so I think that to say one person is gonna spoil everything, it's not fair to say that.
1: Right. When you when you bring up the law enforcement, I don't think oh perfect. I don't think that law enforcement as a whole is the problem. Like you said, as much as there is bad individuals mm-hmm. who occupy and who wear those badges. And I think what we're saying, and even in our communities, is if you look at, let's just go back to the 50s and the 60s, there were certain communities that were segregated. You know, certain pockets, you had primarily Hispanics, you had primarily African-American, you had white people. But in those communities, which the word there is community, you were able to police your own. Mm-hmm. you were able to discipline your own. So, you know, I don't I don't know. I, well, I'll say my age, I'm 40. I couldn't walk through the neighborhood and just be mischievous without somebody saying, mm-hmm. Lance, you better get your butt yeah. home or else, you know, Miss Rose is going to know what you did right. before you made it home. And so you trusted those people. You knew the police officers. Right. You knew them. And so when they came into the community... They weren't there to violate your rights. They were really there to support the construct that that community had put together. Right. So, you know, when I was coming up, if, you know, somebody got out of line and the police would come, they would say, hey, you know, you better get so-and-so or else we'll get him. Mm-hmm. So the community dealt with them. Yeah. But now you have officers who are not from the community who come in to harass our people, to beat up our people, to put fear in our people. Yeah. And so now when you have enough of them coming in, it builds disdain for the entire group because now it's us against them or them against us, as opposed to them being here to serve and aid. So when you call the police and you like, I know you were a social worker, but you have people who called the police because their children were having you know, mental episodes mm-hmm. And they're killed.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're that's... gunned
1: down. Right. Because the police didn't have enough training to be able to de-escalate. Mm-hmm. You know, they should be in CPI training. Mm-hmm. You know They didn't have enough You know wherewithal to de-escalate the situation. And so now they go to brute force when it's not necessary. Right. And so our cry is, if you get rid of the bad police officers, mm-hmm. we'll police our own neighborhoods and just leave us with the good ones.
0: Yeah.
2: You
1: know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever felt threatened? <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, you know, I'm a big guy, so I can I can handle By myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I can handle. Yeah. In yeah, church. Yeah. 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 That's But you know, I can handle myself. You know, most people who know me know when I become angry, I'm a different beast. So where did that come from? Where did what come from? The sense of
2: having to protect
1: yourself. It, it, you know, some childhood trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, some being, you know, just aware of your surroundings, because like I said, you know, there are bad people in the world. You know, you take a Dylan Ruth, you know, who in South Carolina, he killed nine parishioners sitting in worship service Mm -hmm. you know so the bible says you know be harmless as a dove but be wise as a serpent
0: yeah yeah.
1: you know so that means you gotta know when to strike
2: exactly and i think that um as you were saying you know that you know how to handle yourself yeah and i think as minorities at a very young age we are taught to handle ourselves right because we need to protect ourselves because we feel like for, for example, I came as an immigrant. I didn't come with documents or anything. So mm-hmm. I was taught what to do if the police came to my house. I was taught what to say, how to lie about my legal status. Mm-hmm. At a very young age, to protect myself. At that age, I didn't know any better. I just knew that my mom, I trusted what she was saying. And if she was telling me to lie to the police, I had to lie to the police. Because right. otherwise I'd be removed, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think as young people, we are taught to
1: But now watch so. this. Your first interaction with law enforcement was they're the enemy. Yeah,
2: that's what I was talking about.
1: And you have to deceive them mm-hmm. because if you don't, they're going to do bad things. Mm-hmm. They're going to separate you. They're going to take us back. Mm-hmm. They're going to do it. And so, over time, that trauma is passed on. From one generation. generation to the next generation. Exactly. And so now you have this trauma that's magnified mm-hmm. because now, then they were just gonna remove you. Mm-hmm. But now that trauma says that they're gonna kill you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You understand when you have a, you know, a Tamir Rice who's playing in the park mm-hmm. and within two seconds of law enforcement pulling up, he's gunned down. You understand? So so when you you see people, especially, you know, now this is what I take it personal, my people, Mm -hmm. people of color, and they're angry, and they're enraged, and they're furious. You know, this is a byproduct Mm -hmm. of something that is much greater. And so you have to ask yourself, what is fueling this anger? So now we have to get to the root issue. Racism. Oppression. Mm-hmm.
2: No. Yeah, because there's a lot of people saying that it doesn't happen. It's not happening. There's a big uh, a group of people out in social media saying there's no systemic racism. The, the, the there's laws to protect you. are idiots. Even minorities have more than the Caucasian or. idiots. You know what I mean? <laughs> but they were out there. There's a big group of people saying that. And I was telling Pastor Markle, us. Who have experienced racism discrimination, we take that as you're telling me that my experience isn't real by saying that this isn't happening, this doesn't exist, that the law's there to protect me. The law is there to protect people and they're the ones killing people. Right. You know? And so to me it gets me very upset to to when people say this thing that I had to like remove myself from the internet because I'm like, I'm gonna get into a fight with everyone because they don't understand. And sometimes it's even your own people saying these things and I'm like, maybe you're not aware of it it happening to you because (laughs) I'm sure it's happened. You probably just are not aware that it's happened to you. And so it gets me, it gets me upset, you know, and as it, it starts in the home, it really does. In my opinion, I grew up with that mentality as an immigrant, you know, the police, you have to lie so they don't remove you because if they find out you're not, you know, a resident here, it could be really bad, and they're going to separate us, right? And then um, also you respect people who are white. You know, they call the shots. And so you grow up with this mentality, and as you're getting older and becoming an adult, now when I'm around people that are American, Caucasian, I feel inferior because of the ideas that my mother put in my mind and my family, you know? And now as so I'm older and I'm, you know, more educated and I'm exposed to different things, now I know better than and to you know, show my face in these situations and be like, I'm valuable, I'm important, I'm a child of God. Most importantly, you know, and mm-hmm. so I have a place here. But now I'm with my children, and I read books about, you know, different children of different colors, races, and ethnicities, because I want to expose her up to that side of things. I don't want to transfer my trauma to her and tell her you need to be afraid. Not to see an officer, they there to help you. You know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I know that there's going to come an age like my son who's gonna be 15 this year where I've had different conversations with him now about the police or about your community about having to prove him having to prove himself in certain situations because you're a Latino you're gonna have to work harder not because you're not smart enough mm-hmm. but because you're a person of color therefore people might perceive you as inferior so you're gonna have to work harder
1: you don't have mm-hmm. the same opportunities you yeah mean, one, the same you know two things to, to, to that point number one anybody who says that it doesn't exist did I say this already they're an idiot that, 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 that's that's that, there's no other way to put it and I don't even need you to validate my experience just look at the way the justice system is set up look at the way the financial institutions are set up. You go fill out a loan application and it says we are an equal opportunity or why else would they have to put that moniker Mm -hmm. or that sticker on there if there is not some inherent racism Mm divides or devices in there. So don't tell me that it doesn't exist. Why was affirmative action put in place? Don't tell me that it does not exist. So anybody who says that it does not exist and that we are afforded the same opportunities. Did I say this? They're an idiot. When you look at your Ivy League schools, it's not that Mm -hmm. African-Americans, Latinos, Asians don't have the same intellect. It's just that they're not invited to those tables to be able to participate. So don't tell me that it does not exist. But then on the flip side, this is where I'm different. Mm -hmm. And this is why I've taught my children to be different you don't have to prove yourself to anyone. Mm -hmm. You're enough. Mm -hmm. You empower your kids to know that you're enough. And if they won't invite you to the table, then darn it, you build your own table and you make them regret that they're not sitting at that one. And you see, this is the beauty of of the strength that we have as minorities. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us get disenchanted When we get the degrees or when we get the, you know, the salaries or when we get the positions, because now we feel validated because white people are a certain minority group says we're important. When I was important the day that I was born, the Bible says that before, you know, your mom and dad knew you, I formed you in your mother's womb. I gave you purpose. So when you understand that, you understand that nobody can define you because I am who God says I am. And who God says mm-hmm. I am trumps what your belief is yeah. in me. And so if I live and I work to fulfill my God-given purpose and not my idea of what you think that I am, mm-hmm. because as long as I'm trying to live in the confines mm-hmm. and the constructs of who you think that I am, then I've already lost. Mm-hmm. Because now I'm not focused on who God says that I am. Right. You know, so because I'm black, because I'm Latino, look, I can give two hoots about what you think about me. You know, this is why I've never worked for anybody. Pastor Marco knows I'm the first black senior pastor of one of the largest churches now in the city of Long Beach and their 80 year history. You understand? And it wasn't because I was the most qualified. It's not because I'm the best guy, (laughs) you know, but it's because that was God's purpose for my life. And irrespective of who didn't agree with it, God divinely orchestrated it as to where it came to pass. So if I could tell anybody, don't ever, you know, if you feel inferior, then check with yourself and see what insecurities you have. And once you can dispel those insecurities, begin to empower yourself to know that the plan of God for your life is much stronger than what anyone else could ever imagine. Thank
2: you so much for that because I feel like I I lost focus, and I think you're right. I think I kind of did lose a little bit of focus that, there with my son because of my trauma, because of my own experience. Mm-hmm.
0: We, we all do. We yeah. do, yeah. you know,
2: and and you're absolutely right. You know, I think I do empower my son, but I think Thank I you. could be doing more, yeah. not just with within his community and our culture, but spiritually. I think that's where I need to empower him more. And, so and I
1: tell him where he that. comes from. Right. I mean, when you when you I don't you know when you think of that to come to this country and quote, unquote, be behind the eight ball, Mm -hmm. go to school, matriculate through school, then get the collegiate experience, graduate, Mm -hmm. get a job, now helping other people, sustaining yourself, And you did all of that while carrying this trauma he didn't come from a race of people that are inferior he came from a race of people that were strong that internalized pain and adversity but yet they still Overcame. He didn't come from a group of people that they were ahead of the starting line and their finish line is pushed closer. But he came from a group of people that their starting line weighed them down and their finish line was much further off and they achieved that. Mm -hmm. They maintained that and they're still overcoming. That's what he came from. And when you, you know, it's, 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 it's a perspective. You know, when you change your perspective to know, Mm-hmm. That I got this thing, look, they, mm-hmm. and, and, and see, that's the thing they want to take away from us. Yeah, And I'm not talking about white people, or, but the group of people, whatever group that is, because there's black people that want to keep mm-hmm. us down. Mm-hmm. There's Hispanic people that want to keep us down. Asian people, you know? Mm-hmm. So whatever group it is, the best thing that you could ever do is take that and allow it to make you stronger, build your own, create your own. Yeah. But oh, at the okay. same time, you know.
0: We already have to bring our shield out mm-hmm. because you know my my daughter was telling me when she was a teenager. Well, she's still she, 20. She, she's twenty. She's not a teenager. She's not a <laughs> little baby Sorry. is not
1: a baby
0: anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Papa, no. Yeah, she was telling me, you know, I have a, a Mexican mother and a Guatemalan father. That's so, a fight all with herself. Breaking <laughs> <laughs> well, right there. <laughs> No, she was telling me, she wished she was not a Latino when she was a teenager, you know, and and every time you know, uh, I have to in I have to educate her. Mm-hmm. She's not less than nobody, mm-hmm. you know. I have to tell her that she's a child of God, you know, and then her attitude uh, towards other people has to be has to be different. Mm-hmm. So they my kids have uh, African American friends. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you know, I'm so thankful because when I came to this country over almost 40 years ago, the African-American people helped me. The place I worked, they taught me how to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I consider Pastor Carter my mm-hmm. spiritual father. Mm-hmm. And how's that? You know, it's not, it's, it's just, I, I'll repeat it again. Just because one person is bad right. doesn't mean the entire community of Latinos or white or or, or Chinese or African Americans are the same. Mm-hmm. So we have to take that off and we have to tell we have to show some Christianity mm-hmm. in our community. You know, see different people uh, as our brother, our sisters. Mm-hmm. As soon as you you walk in, and unfortunately, it's not like that. I went, to, uh, I went to see a protest right here in Covina, and you can feel that difference, you know? Yeah. People just get close to the police and start recording with no respect. You know
1: that's going to provoke them, they don't like to be, uh...
2: Nobody would.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Well, we don't like to be beat though, Pastor Marco, we I... don't like to be shot at, I... we don't like to be provoked, exactly. you know, we don't like to be antagonized. You understand so when you I mean so to, to provoke them really at this stage of the game really is it's fair play you know and it, it, there's an old saying there's no it's no fun when the rabbit has the gun you know remember uh, Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny mm-hmm. and Elmer Fudd was always trying to shoot Bugs Bunny but then every now and then Bugs Bunny would get the gun mm-hmm. and Elmer Fudd <laughs> would take off running and, you know, and, and that's where we are. You know, they have created it. Well, once again, it has been passed down, that trauma. So you you beat these communities. You subjected these communities to this trauma. And the least of your concern is a video camera. When you put guns in our faces, you put your knees on our necks, when you put your fist in our face. Well, that's what I'm trying to say. That not everybody is like that. Well, but see, this is the thing though. Now, this I is, agree, and I'm not against. But not against, But now you have to ask yourself, not every black person is a robber, but when- Not but, every but, police. But watch this. It's, it's. But when a white lady, or even sometimes Latinos, walk past a young black man, and if they have a purse, what do they do? Well, they pull their purse closer until, until they figure out that this person is not there to do them harm. So that's the same thing with the police right now. Yeah, we're recording until we figure out that you're not there to do us harm. And then when we realize you're not there to do us harm, now we can relax a little bit more. You know, every every Latino is not a cholo. Every Every Latino is not an illegal immigrant. You understand? Right. So when you, when you can understand, okay, I understand the stereotypes, but I'm open, like I said in the beginning, and I'm willing enough to see, okay, we're good. Okay. We're good. (laughs) And then when we're good, you know, we can proceed as normal. So no, not every cop is bad. And and if somebody breaks in my house, after I shoot them, I'm going to call (laughs) 911. You know what I'm saying? So if I get in trouble, I'm going to tell my family to call 911. So I know that not every cop is bad, but just in the in the environment and the culture that we're dealing with, you know, we've got to, you know, trust but verify. We're fact-checking that. Everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Anyways, <laughs> it's a tough conversation, you know. Yeah. And uh, thank you for being in our podcast. It's a blessing to have you. Any last words you would like to say to our community? No, I, I white, think...
1: White, Black, you Latino. Not, you and White people are not a part of your community. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, let me say this though. This, 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 right. <laughs> this is what I wanted to speak to, to, uh The reason that I think, especially in um, Latino communities, Asian communities, the reason the young kids struggle so much is because physically their appearance is so close to that line of what society says is acceptable that if they, um, I don't want to say denounce, but reject their culture to embrace that culture, they feel like they're more accepted. Right. And this is where, as parents we have to do our job once again mm-hmm. to empower, to let them know where they come from. Because a lot of times, even a lot of my friends who are uh, minorities, I love to talk to their grandparents. Mm-hmm. I love to talk to first-generation immigrants. I, I, that That is one of the best conversations ever because they remind you of the traditions and the culture, mm-hmm. but they always say, The further their grandkids and their great-grandkids get away from that, the more they lose their sense of tradition and culture as if it's a bad thing. And they always say, we didn't bring our kids here to lose their tradition or their culture. We brought them here to give them a better chance. And if we can understand the opportunities that we have while holding on to the beauty of who we are, then we live up to what is known as the American. So my last words is Pastor Marco and I got it. Evelyn, uh, I thank you guys for this opportunity. And I just pray that something was said today that would just encourage somebody to be their authentic self. Amen. You know. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Lance.